I think that the greatest, the greatest sermon that can be preached is a sermon that first the pastor learns it himself or herself. How many would agree with that? I mean, first and foremost, when a pastor, him or her, when they're studying the Word of God, it's a sermon always to themselves first. And so um, I've been preaching, like this morning I preached out of my heart because I've been studying that for the, for the last couple months. And because uh, my prayer is the Lord would reduce some things in my life. And, uh, and that's what I've been praying. And so and tonight, uh, this is some stuff that I've been studying about uh, that I want to share with you. Um, and so I wasn't going to preach it tonight, but I felt like, yeah, this is what the Lord wants me to preach on. I'm just going to share with you what I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to, us to preach about. All right. So uh, tonight, for a few moments, we're going to look at John chapter six, and we're just going to keep there, keep it there just for a few moments. So keep your hand there at John chapter six. And tonight, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to minister your word. We pray that your word would go forth in power. We pray that your word would go forth in boldness. We pray, Lord, that the things that are said would be only things that said by your spirit, that our hearts would be receptive to it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Tonight, I want to preach on the thought, the frustrated believer. The frustrated believer. Look to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, are you frustrated? Are you frustrated with your marriage? Are you frustrated with the dog and cat? Are you frustrated with your job? Are you frustrated with whoever? Are you frustrated? The frustrated believer. How many would raise your hand and say, I've been there before? Come on. How many would say, I've been there a lot lately? Would you raise your hand? Well, guess what? So I'm going, I, I was in prayer the other day and I felt frustrated because I was praying over, <laughs> I've been frustrated a long time, <laughs> uh, praying for a wife. But how many knows this is going to come in God's timing? Somebody say amen. So anyway, I was praying. Not enough about Pastor Josh, all right? So I was praying, and, I, and, um, and I, this sermon is birthed out of just looking at the Word of God in a holistic view here and seeing what God wants to say to us in a time of growth and development. So the frustrated believer. One of the things that you've got to understand is as you're walking with the Lord, God's plan, and I've said this, and I say this often, and I, you may even think maybe I'll harp about it. I'm not trying to harp about it. It's a core value of my life, so that's why I talk about it. I've went, and this, I'm not saying this boastfully, by no means, that's not my heart. I've went to school for years, so I have the attitude of growing and learning. And I think that you should too. So, so I, I say that a lot because I think that if you're a Christian, if you read the Bible, the New Testament, you're not to just go through life, you are to grow through life. And the Bible, if you look at the Bible, you will sincerely see a process of growth, especially in 1 John, where the, the writer, who is John, said he spoke to them as little children, then he spoke to them as young men, and then he spoke to them as fathers. And that is the progression of growth. You're a child, you're either a child in the Lord, and it doesn't matter how long you've been serving the Lord. It has no, growing up in the Lord has nothing to do with how long you've served the Lord. So you're either a child, you're a young man or a young woman, or you're a father and mother in the faith. And what is a father and a mother in the faith? You're an example to people. You're an example with your life, your attitude, your behavior. You're an example to people. That's what a father and a mother is. And so if you look at Scripture, you will see that the Christian journey is a journey of not just going through it, but growing through it. 
Are you willing to grow in the Lord? And a lot of people have misconceived ideas about what growing in the Lord means. And, but if you look at Scripture, it has a whole different view of what it really means by growing in the Lord. And one of the things that I found in your growth and development is that God is always wanting you to become something. You are in the process of becoming. And it's your choice of whether to become it or not. And when God wants to change something in your life, He usually puts you in a situation that's beyond your control. I'm going to say that again. When God wants to change you, He will put you in a situation that's beyond your control. That is how growth and development happens. He puts you in a place where you can't change it. And He puts you there because He wants you to grow. You're not called to go through life. You are called to grow through life. If you're not growing in the Lord, there is something spiritually wrong with your life. If you don't have a hunger and a desire to be better than you were last year, or if you're not growing in the major areas of your life, there is something spiritually wrong somewhere. And we have to understand that when God's providence is He wants to change us, and when He wants to change us, He puts us in a situation that's usually beyond your control, and you become frustrated. And when you become frustrated with your life, you usually live in the flesh. And when you're in the flesh, you interpret things by the flesh. So that's why Jesus said, when you get angry, don't go to bed angry. Make sure you make your mends before you go to bed. Because it's not good to let it settle in your heart all night. Make sure you resolve things and you make sure you take care of things quickly because you don't want a root of bitterness to set up in your heart, in your life, and the enemy comes in and takes what was planted there by the Holy Spirit. So when God wants to change something in your life, He will put you in a situation that's beyond your control. But you've got to learn to walk by the Spirit. And what is the Spirit? Walking by the Spirit is not goosebumps. Walking by the Spirit is not jerking and shaking. And I believe in that. And I, I want people to experience God. But walking in the Spirit is making a decision to do what's right in spite of the way I feel. Your feelings is your flesh. Walking by the Spirit is making a decision that I'm going to act right, speak right, do what's right in spite of how I feel. That is walking in the Spirit. That is how you know you are growing in the Spirit when you're able to control your emotions. Listen, if you don't have a devotional life, you will have an emotional life. If you don't have a devotional life, you will have an emotional life. You would One day you want to cuss everybody out and you're frustrated and you're mad and the next day you're sweet and kind. That gets on people's nerves after a while. You've got to learn to control the emotions. You've got to learn to control yourself. You've got to learn. Can I hear an amen up in here? You've got to learn to control it. If you're up and down like that, you've, it's not good. Now, does everybody have a bad day? Of course. Does everybody have bad situations? Yes. But the difference is, is you don't let it control you long term. There's a difference between having a bad day and a bad year. <laughs> it's a, there's a difference between having a bad few moments and a bad day than letting that thing control you. And when God wants to change you, He puts you in a situation that's beyond your control. You may say, well, what is frustration? This is, this is the definition of what it means to be frustrated. Frustration is a deep, chronic sense or state of insecurity or dissatisfaction, always from an unresolved problems 
or unfulfilled needs. So when you are in your life and you feel unfulfilled or you don't feel validated, you don't feel important, you will become frustrated. When there's problems in your life that's unresolved, you will become frustrated. When there's deep-seated issues that you can't solve yourself, you're going to become frustrated. Do you know that the word frustration comes from a word which means this, in vain, in vain. That's the word frustration. Everybody shout this with me, in vain. So I thought about that when I discovered the word frustration, and I thought, well, that doesn't make sense. And then after further study, it really does make sense. Because frustration is the thing that happens to you when you are feeling like you're doing everything in vain and nothing is changing for the better. Pastor, I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing is happening. I'm doing it in vain. You feel like you're doing it in vain. I've done all the right things. Nothing's getting better. And because of that, you become frustrated. You become, you feel as though you are doing things in vain. You feel as though what you are doing, you're doing it in vain and it doesn't really matter. Well, let me just remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that everything that you do in life really does matter. Everything in life you do really does matter. And the enemy will come to you and tell you that your praying is not working, your giving is not working, your services is not working, you're just doing it in vain because nothing is changing. You've been praying for a long time and it's not getting better. You've been going to church for a long time, it's not getting better. You've been praying over the same stuff, it's not getting better. It's no wonder we become frustrated because we think we're doing it in vain. But it is a trick and a deception from the enemy to deceive you that that you think you're doing it in vain. But ladies and gentlemen, everything you do in the kingdom of God is not in vain and it's not in waste. Every time you pray, you're putting in a spiritual deposit. Every time you serve, it's being put in a spiritual deposit. You're making a deposit into your spiritual life. Listen, somebody once said, we get old too quick and wise too late. Isn't that true? Some of the stuff that we know now, we wish we had known earlier in our life. And that is why it's good to heed to wisdom, instruction. There is glory in your story. You've got to tell yourself that there's going to be glory in my story. I know the enemy wants to frustrate me and feel like that everything I'm doing is in vain. But it's not in vain. Devil wants you to quit right before things get better. You see, frustration is a deception that makes you feel like you're not making any progress and you're doing everything in vain. How many would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I felt that way before. I felt like I've done things in vain and it's not doing any good any longer. Well, let me tell you that as long as you're living, you're going to, expa- you're going to experience frustration. And once you get over this frustration, something else is going to frustrate you. And when you get over that, something else is going to frustrate you because that's life. And a part of growing up in the Lord is knowing how to deal with it appropriately. You see, these are the steps of of how to grow through your frustration. Number one, this is how it works. Number one, there is a declaration. Somebody say declaration. Now, this is what this means. For instance, if I get up here and say, I'm going to lose weight... I'm going to lose 100 pounds. I made a declaration. All right? But the second step is called distress. Number two, distress. 
Now what do I mean by that? Well, after I made the declaration I'm losing weight, I'd go to the gym and find out that it is stressful. Can I hear an amen? You make a declaration you're going to eat right and you go home and there's a chocolate pie there. You're in distress. It's no wonder we get frustrated. I've been in church a long time. I've heard, I mean, I've heard it all. You know, I may be young, but I've heard a lot. I've heard people get up and say, oh God, I'm going to win the world for Jesus. They made a declaration. But that Friday, they were in major distress. (laughs) Because anytime you make a declaration, you're going to be in distress about it because the enemy has heard it. You've made a declaration in the spirit world and there is going to be a trying of your faith once a declaration is made. So you've got to learn that you cannot give up when you're distressed. You can't give up after the declaration. You can't give up after the distress. Now after the distress, there is what we call the third develop- The third stage is called development. Development. So there is the declaration, there is distress, and then there is development. In other words, God uses your distress to develop you. Can I hear an amen? Guess what? The people that frustrate you, God is using that to teach you. You need to love them and see them through the eyes of Jesus. Maybe the distress that you're experiencing, maybe you need to grow through it. Maybe the Lord says, you know what? Maybe you don't have all the information yet. Maybe you're frustrated over something that you don't have all the information over. You see what I'm saying? So there is the declaration, there's a distress, there's development. There is this process that the Lord wants you to go through. And then finally, there is what we call deliverance. You see, as Pentecostals, we want to go right to the deliverance aspect. We want somebody to pray over us, get us out of this situation. But God is saying, listen, sometimes I will have you to go through these steps Because what you need is not necessarily deliverance. What you need is development. So there is a declaration. There is a distress. There is development. And there is deliverance. Let me tell you something. If you serve the Lord, and you are faithful, and you are consistent, even in the midst of frustration, and if you allow the Holy Spirit to use it to develop you, I promise you, you will experience a divine deliverance in your life. Can I hear an amen? You remember the story, you remember the scripture where, where Paul said, uh, turn me up just, just a tad or, or, or just a little bit. Paul said, don't muzzle the mouth of the ox. You remember that scripture? You know, that scripture is kind of funny to me because once you begin to study what an ox does, it brings a different perspective to the story. You know, back in the Jewish world, one of the ways that they would tread out corn or tread out wheat, they would use animals, a beast of burden. Is that correct? They didn't have modern day machinery to do that. So they used animals. And one of the things that they would do to tread out the corn is that they would have an ox and that ox would have a yoke upon its neck. Why a yoke? Because they wanted to keep the head of the ox down. So when the, when the ox would go in the circle to tread out the corn, the yoke on his neck would cause his head to be down, and the only thing that the ox could do is eat the corn. He's eating the corn at the same time he's treading it out. Because his head's down. There's a yoke upon his neck. And so the only thing that the ox could do is eat the corn. Well, guess what happens? Over a period of time, because he's distressed, over a period of time, 
of him eating the corn, guess what happened, Pastor David? His neck would swell up because he would gain weight of eating all the corn. And because all the weight gained, guess what would happen? The yoke that's on his neck would break open or break loose because he got too fat for the yoke. What I'm saying is that sometimes in our life, we feel like we're in distress. We feel like we're going in a circle. We feel like that nothing's working. But the Holy Ghost is saying, eat the corn of the Word of God. Keep doing what's right. Because when you do what's right, eventually you'll get so fat in the Spirit, it will break off the yoke of the enemy. So the key is, keep doing what's right. Keep doing what's right and let God develop you. You see, the word anointing means fatness or to smear. So that means that yoke got so fat, he broke off the yoke off of his neck because that is why the prophet said, the anointing shall break the yoke and destroy the burden. How is the anointing how is the anointing uh, transferred in our life? When you have a devotional life instead of an emotional life, that devotional life will cause you to become so fat in the spirit that no yoke can stay on you. If you have no devotional life, you will have an emotional life. You see, policies are many. Principles are few. Policies change. Principles never do. The principle of the Word of God never changes. God desires that you be transformed. He desires that you grow and you develop. That's the mission of this church. Grow in God. That's our mission. We don't want to be just Pentecostals who come and shout. We want to be Pentecostals who engage our mind to the Bible. We want to shout, but we want to engage the Bible. We want to learn the Word of God. God has called you to transform. He's called you to become something. He wants you to grow and develop. All the mess that we seem like we are in, it is not of the devil. If you are a believer, the devil can't touch you. It is God's working in your life. And the reason that we keep recycling or repeating the process is because our perception, we think it's the devil, and God says it's me all along. Well, pastor, that's not true. Read the book of Job. Read the New Testament where Paul said, I've asked the Lord over and over to remove this thorn, but He gave me grace in the midst of it. Why did Paul have a thorn in the flesh? To keep Paul humble. That's why. To keep them humble. You see, an egg, when it's fertilized with sperm, it becomes a baby. There's a transformation. An idea goes through a transformation process and you, you get a reality. This building was somebody's idea. Somebody thought of it. Somebody thought of the color. Somebody built this because it was an idea. It went through a transformation process. Idea, which is something that's unseen, became reality. It went through a transformation process. A sinner can go from a sinner to a saint. Transformation. A boy goes from a boy to a man. Transformation. A girl goes from a girl to a woman. Transformation. Life has a transformative element to it. Life, when it's transformed, leaves a legacy. The question that we got to ask ourselves is, are we allowing the Holy Spirit to change us? 
Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us and knock off those rough edges in our life? Are we blaming the devil for all the distress and blaming the devil for everything that's chaotic in our life? Or are we looking at it as the divine sovereign hand of Almighty God wanting to mold you and make you into the image of Christ? You see, ladies and gentlemen, he's trying to get us back to the garden. In the garden, mankind was made in the image of God, but because of sin, the image become defaulted. The image became corrupted. And that is why when you become a Christian, if you don't allow the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit to work in your life, you will live a Christian life with the image of God that looks like it was in the garden, corrupted, instead of it looking like Jesus. That's the whole purpose, is trying to get us back to the garden. In the garden, mankind was made in the perfect image of God, and sin corrupted it. And since the garden, God has been trying to get us go back to the garden, to our original state, and the original state is to look completely like God. And so my question to you is, how much of God do you look like? Or are you looking like the fallen state of our parents in the garden? It's all about getting us to go back. Revelation 22, there's going to be a tree in, the, in paradise. Because there was a tree in the garden. There's a Garden of Eden there, and there was a Garden of Eden here. There was a tabernacle made of hands by, Noah, by Moses on earth, and so isn't there one in heaven. There's an Ark of the Covenant here, and there's an Ark of the Covenant there. There was blood on the mercy seat on earth, the blood of bulls and goats and lambs, and there's also a heavenly golden mercy seat in heaven, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of Jesus because what's there is here. Everything in life is about trying to get us to go back to the original state. The original state. Are you allowing the Lord to transform you? And one of the reasons we don't allow the Lord to transform us is because of this. We don't allow the Holy Spirit to transform us because we don't like pain. But I want to remind you that before God can trust you with power, you have to be trusted with pain or tested with pain. If you cannot be tested with pain, you cannot be trusted with power. Your life will never grow beyond the pain that you're able to tolerate. The greater the responsibility in the Lord, the less of personal freedom that you really have. See, people saying, boy, I want to be used of God. I want to be doing of God. Are you willing to give up time? Because greater the responsibility that you have with God, the less of personal freedom that you really have. You see, the higher you go, the less of this you have. The higher you go, the less friends you have. The higher you go, the less acquaintances that you have. The higher you go, the more detached to the things of this earth that you become. You see, how far do you want to go? We, we want the high life, but we got to give up the low life. Give up the low life so you can have the high life. Where is sacrifice any longer? Sacrifice. 
sacrifices to give up something good so you'd have something better. But we have lived with the good so long that we don't even know there's anything better. We have lived with the crumbs that fall from the masters of table that we forgot that there's actual loaf of bread there. Sacrifice is simply giving up something that's good to achieve something that's better. If you really want to grow with God, if you really want to be developed with God, then you have to understand you've got to be tested with pain. You see, why do I have to be tested with pain? Because if there's no pain, there's no celebration, there's no glory, there's no resurrection. In every scene of a movie you've ever watched, there is some victory at the end. There is a plot. There is some evil plot scheme that's going on every movie. And then at the end, there's some sort of victory. That's the same way with the Bible. There's an evil scheme going on called the devil trying to deceive everybody. There is pain involved. Jesus, the Messiah, suffered great agony and great pain. But yet, the end of the story is that he was resurrected and you and I will get to reign with him throughout the endless ages of eternity. But you've got to endure the pain. Before you're test, trusted with power, you've got to be tested with pain. Sometimes we don't want to be tested with pain because pain is uncomfortable. But God uses pain to change us. God is the author of pain. We thank God for pain. Because if you didn't have pain, you could destroy your body. If you couldn't feel, you could chop off your arms and fingers and never feel anything. Pain is a good thing. Conflict is good. See, we, we want to go against conflict and pain, but it's very good. Because it teaches us that there are some things that need to be corrected. Some things that need to be, that some things need to grow in. Some things need to change. It's good. I remember teaching a conflict class at Messenger College. And I was going through a conflict myself. The Lord taught me in that conflict that it wasn't necessarily bad that I was going through it because I was going through it. I wasn't staying. You see, God uses those little things in our life to mold us, to make us, to shape us. Y'all hearing what Pastor Josh is saying? Number one, in closing, I just want to bring out a few more things. If you're going to really change, and you're really going to grow, for your, grow through the frustration and grow through the distress and allow the Spirit to develop you so there's a delivery. If you're really going to do it, then you have to understand these principles. And principle number one, you've got to realize that there needs to be a change. If you don't realize that there needs to be a change, there's never going to be a change. If you don't realize there's a better way, there's never going to be a better way. You see... We live in a day and age where people say, well, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Now, how immature is that? Because there's always a better way. There is a better way to do your finances. There is a better way to run a church. There is a better way to sing. There is a better way to preach. There's a better way to clean. There's a better way to counsel. There's a better way to do your marriage. There is a better way. In every department, there's a better way. But if we don't have the mindset that there's a better way, you will never become better. You will be satisfied with the status quo because you don't think anything needs to change. 
in every... Now, I just listed those things, not because I'm pinpointing anything. I'm just listing them because those are the issues of life. But there's a better way. And I struggle with that probably with anything. I struggle with that. One of my weaknesses, and I'm going to tell on myself, and I, this is an issue I struggle with so bad. I, I know that there's a better way. And what I'll do is I'll study 500 better ways and never do a better way. And you know what that is? That's perfectionism. Perfectionism states, I'll study it out to make sure I find the best way to do it. And then when I find the best way to do it, I keep studying and find somebody else that did it better. You see what I'm saying? So you never really make progress. At one point or another, you have to stop and say, I've chosen this way to do it better. I'm going to make baby steps. This may not be the perfect way. This may not be the most excellent way, but it is better than what I was doing. And that's the mindset that you've got to have. So I just told on myself because I wrestle with that very, very much. Number two, God will always use a crisis to change you. Do you know what the word crisis means? It comes from a word which means to turn or a turning point. You see, when you're in a crisis, you will either turn bitter or better. When you're in a crisis, something will turn in your life. Your mind turns. Your heart turns. When you're in a crisis, something turns in your life. I want to say this, and I think it's important to say, when you're in a crisis, you've got to understand to never allow your condition to be your conclusion. Never allow your condition to be your conclusion. Your condition and the state that you're in right now should not be your final conclusion. You have to define who you are before you get into a crisis. Did you know that? Before you get in a crisis, you've got to know who you are. Because if you don't know who you are when you're in a crisis, you will let things frustrate you. You'll let things get to you. You've got to know like Jesus knew. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, that the Father said, You are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Why did God say that to Jesus? Because the next chapter, He had trouble with the religious leaders. And the next chapter, He had trouble with the religious leaders. God in His providence was telling Jesus, listen, your approval is because of me, not because of the religious leaders. Because you've got to know, you've got to know who you are before you enter a crisis. So number one, you've got to learn that there needs to be a change. Somebody say there's got to be a change. Somebody say a change. You've got to realize things need to change. Number two, that God uses a crisis. He uses a crisis. Number three, I'm almost done. Number three is that that crisis should create a hunger. When you're in trouble, that crisis should create a hunger. You see, when somebody has health problems and they almost die, they have a crisis, and sometimes they become an expert on it. For instance, and she didn't have a crisis, but she's a great example of it. Carrie Allenball, stand up. Carrie Allenball has lost how much weight? 70 plus pounds. She was 70 plus pounds heavier when I met her. Before that, she didn't have no desire to eat right, but she, she had a crisis moment that things need to change in her life. That change created a hunger in her to learn nutrition. 
And she has went to school with it and got a degree to learn how to eat right because it created a hunger in her life. You see, your crisis in your life can make you bitter or it can give you a hunger to do better. It can give you a hunger to do better. And once you have that hunger, that hunger produces a search. A search. You search things out. That hunger creates... Crisis creates a hunger, and the next thing is hunger creates a search. You begin to search things out. You begin to try your hardest to search things out. You see, I have, I have like I told on myself, I have a great desire to learn church growth and study, and I'll study all kinds of things and read all kinds of things. I'm searching it out. But my perfectionism is I want to keep searching. But at one point or another, you've got to say, this is better than that. This is, what I, this is better than what I've been doing. It may not be the perfect thing, but it's better. Having a growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset. A hunger creates, a crisis creates hunger. Then the hunger creates a search. And then that hunger or that search creates truth. Truth or a higher understanding. You begin to understand things you've never understood before because you searched it out. You got, you got a hunger to eat right. You begin to search it out to how to effectively do it. You understand what I'm saying? That hunger creates a higher understanding. And then the higher understanding leads to a revelation. A revelation six. A revelation. There is a revelation of what you have learned. There's a revelation of what you have discovered. Now let me say this, that the final level after revelation is transformation. Because transformation doesn't happen unless there is a revelation. Now why is that true? Because it's scriptural. You shall know the truth and the truth that you know will make you free. You've got to know or have a revelation of the truth that makes you free. So therefore, church, me preaching the truth to you may not change you. That's why people, th this is what happens in a church service. Five people in a church row, one will leave inspired and life changed. The other leaves indifferent. Don't care. You know, whatever. The other leaves, uh, it was, you know, good... There's total different responses because we're all at different levels in our life. So me preaching doesn't cause you to change. It's the revelation of the truth I'm preaching to you that causes transformation. You've got to have a revelation of it for yourself. Jesus said to Peter, who do, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, well, some think you're John the Baptist, some think you're Elisha, some think you're Jeremiah, some think you're a great prophet. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what did Jesus say? Flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, Simon Barjona, but my Father has revealed this to you. He was changed because he knew the truth, but he had a revelation of the truth, and that truth set him free. So me preaching to you may not do anything to your life. Unless there is a revelation of it. Unless it gets on the inside of you. Unless there's a transformation that happens in the heart of mankind, it will never do anything for you. Never. You can pay hundreds of dollars to go to 
conferences around the world and it will do no good if there's first not a revelation on the inside of you which produces a transformation. We don't need another revival. We need a revival of revelation. We need a revival of getting illuminated by what we already know to be true. So, what is it, ladies and gentlemen? Number one, you've got to realize there needs to be a change in my life. That there's always a way to do it better. That I am a growing Christian. Number two, that God uses crisis. That crisis should be a turning point. What is it going to do to your life? Is it going to make you better or bitter? Are you going to go up or down? Are you going to stay in Egypt or go to Canaan land? Are you going to make a change in your life? Are you going to get upset over it? Are you going to complain about it? You're going to grumble about it. What is that going to do about it? That crisis is going to turn you into somebody either better or bitter. It's going to be a turning point in your life. And then that crisis creates a hunger. When you're in trouble, it should create a hunger that I want to get out of this thing. I don't want to stay in this thing. I want to do it better. It creates a hunger to do things better. And then that hunger creates a search. I search it out. I search for truth. I search for a better way of doing it. I search for a better way. Then that search creates truth. You find truth. You find a higher understanding. You re truth is revealed to you. But you've got to have a revelation of it. And what do I mean a revelation of it? It has to become a part of you. That you know it's true for you. It's not something that pastor is preaching. It's something that's true. It's for you. It's a revelation on the inside of you. It's an illumination on inside of you. It's something that happened on the inside of you. And then that revelation produces a transformation. There is a transformation that happened. It's a glorious transformation that is wrought in the heart of man, not by man, but by God Himself. That you're transformed. What God is doing, He is molding you and making you to make you look like you should look like in the garden. God created man. Listen to pastor. God created man in a perfect image, but sin corrupted it. And from then, from then, God instituted a law. Why did He institute law? Because God says, your image is corrupted, so i got to put laws in place to keep you in place. To keep you looking like me. But you're crazy because you still worship your foreign gods. It was a cycle. So God would send judges and send priests and send rabbis and send leaders to help them to stay in place. But God said, you know what the problem was? The law can't fix it because it's a hard issue. And Jeremiah said, there's coming a day that I'm going to take out the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It's a hard thing. The law can't do it. It can't fix you. 
And that is why in this dispensation, in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, we have the Spirit of God working in us and through us. And why is He doing that? To make us look like what we should have looked like before we fell into sin. The law couldn't do it. The law couldn't do it. The priests couldn't do it. The ceremonies couldn't do it. But you know what can do it? The power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost can make us into the person that we need to be. I don't know about you, but I want to look like Jesus. Jesus. Is Jesus changing your heart, your head, your hands, and your feet? Your head, right thinking. Your heart, right affections. Your hands, right living. Your feet, right direction. Word, worship, work, witness. Is the Holy Spirit doing that in your life? Oh, oh I've been thinking good. I, my heart's right. But are you missional? Are you witnessing to somebody? Because if you're not, you're not growing. You're out of balance. It's head, heart, hands and feet. It, it's a holistic view of what a Christian should look like. That I love Jesus with all my mind. You don't have to ask me to go to church on Wednesday night. I want to go to church because I want to get my thinking right. This is what we have to understand. Can I just break it to you? If you think staying home during the week and you're not coming and you're staying home and you're not at work and you're just staying home, there is something wrong with that picture. How can you, as a believer, your mind is already corrupted by the world already you live in the world six days a week corrupted that is why we come to church to renew our mind to let the holy spirit work in our mind to grow us in our hearts to grow us in our mind if we're in the world six days a week and our mind is already corrupted according to ephesians chapter 2 your mind is not saved then how do you think you're going to survive walking in the Spirit? You're going to think thoughts that is not true. You're going, to, you're going to be negative and you're going to grumble and complain because you're not transforming the mind. Your spirit is saved. We're not arguing with that. But your mind is an enemy of God. Your mind is corrupt. Your mind is away from God. And that is why every opportunity that we should hear the Word, the Word of God should get in our mind to change the way we think so we don't think according to the world. I'm preaching good up in here. And I don't want you to get upset with me. And I'm not pinpointing no one. If you leave mad, then that shows you how spiritually immature you are. Because I'm not pinpointing anybody. I'm telling you as a pastor. And a pastor wants his people to grow. And a pastor wants people to come to church. And a pastor wants people to study the Bible. A pastor wants that. And if I don't want that for you, you need to get another pastor. You all hearing me? You need to find somebody else. 
Because as long as I'm the pastor, I'm going to preach growing in Jesus and growing up and getting our thinking right and our mind right and our heart. As long as I'm the pastor, you're going to hear this message over and 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 over again. Because that is my call. I am sent to this church not to patty cake you and make you feel good and pat you on the back and give you a pacifier. I'm sent to the church without fear and favor to preach the Word of God whether people like it or not. You may not like how I do things, but that's a part of life. That's a part of growing. It's a part of submission and growing and understanding. It's a part of learning to... Now listen, listen, listen. I know some people can't make it on Wednesday nights and that's fine. I'm not preaching to you. I know some people, they just can't do it and we've already talked about it. That's fine. I am, I, I am stressing the point that we need to transform our mind whether it's Wednesday or whether you're already connected to something. You need to change your mind. You need to grow. That needs to be the culture at this church. Amen. Amen. Do you all still love me tonight? Y'all got really quiet when I started really preaching good. Grow in God. Serve with man. Change the world. My mind, my heart, my hands, my feet. Word, worship, work, witness. Word, worship, work, witness. Word, worship, work, witness. I love Jesus. I study the Bible. That's good. But how's your heart with people? Well, my heart's good with people. That's right. Are you serving? Well, I serve. Are you sharing the gospel? Because that's the gospel. Your head, your heart, your hands, and your feet. That's God molding you and making you and shaping you. The prophet or the apostle said, I have given you Ephesians 4.12. I've given you the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, the apostle. For what? For the equipping. For the work of the ministry. Why did He give the pastor, the prophet, the teacher? Verse 13. He says that we, the reason that we have these leaders is that we all come in unity. That we all have the knowledge. Knowledge? Knowledge. That we become a what? Perfect? So you mean to tell me the pastor wants me to grow? Because the word perfect means mature? Probably. If not, you need to get another person. To the measure of the fullness of Christ. That means those pastors, teachers, apostles, they need to put stress on the body to come up another level. 
up. I think that's what it's saying. That these leaders got to put stress on the body to come up to the fullness of Christ. Verse 14. That you should not be like children. Tossed to and fro. Carried about by every wind of doctrine. Verse 15. He ends this discourse. He says, but you've got to speak in love and grow up. So what is the purpose of church leadership? To put a pressure on you to be a better Christian than you were last year. To put pressure on you that you should grow more than you've ever grown. To put pressure on you that you should love God with your mind. And you should love God with your heart. And you should love God with your hands. And you should love God with your... To put pressure on you. To bring you up to the statue and the fullness of Christ. He hasn't called me to be a six-foot icicle roaming around, preaching flowery sermons. He's called me to be a father. Your children. And every father wants their children to look like this father. See what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit is using the things in your life to mold us. And this is what I feel the Spirit is saying, please. And I, I feel like the Spirit of God has arrested me to say this to you. Do not misinterpret what the Spirit of God is doing in your life as a work of the devil. Because if you do it, you're going to miss the point. You can bind until your binder's broke. And nothing will change. Because the Holy Spirit is saying, in reality, I want you to submit to the distress so I could develop you. You can bind it all you want, but nowhere in Scripture do you find that spiritual growth and development and crisis is, is always of the devil. Can't find it. And I've studied this book over and over and over and over. There is a devil, but you're protected from the devil. The blood's already been applied to the doorpost of your heart. You have been sealed with redemption until the day of promise. The devil cannot touch you. The only thing the devil can do to you as a Christian is deceive you. It. But everything else in life can be frustrations. They can be crises. But God uses all of that to make us look like what we should have looked like when He created us in the garden. Because the cross of Jesus defeated the devil and you don't have to worry about the devil. Let's not pay that much attention to the devil. He's defeated.